On this episode, we're going to look at how to empower you when it comes to your mental well-being. I'm delighted to be joined today by Rob Stevenson, founder of Inside Out, a social enterprise with a mission of ending the stigma of mental ill health in the workplace by creating a ripple effect of senior leaders who are willing to speak about their own lived experiences. I'm joined by Abhijay Jain, who's a partner in our deals team as well today. This is our second podcast on the topic of mental health. And the reason we're doing this is following the feedback from our first podcast. It was clear that that conversation resonated with people about mental well-being, and it needs to be regular, not just for Mental Health Awareness Week or World Mental Health Day. So today we're going to look at the importance of the topic, both at the start of your career and as you become a leader. So Rob, I'd like to start with you. Given approximately 15% of those in work in England have symptoms of mental health problems, and worldwide it's estimated that people who suffer from anxiety is close to 1 billion. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and the reason for founding Inside Out? Sure. Thank you for having me and thank you for putting on two podcasts, this being the second, about mental health and well-being in the workplace. This issue is personal to me. I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder when I was 30. I could see the signs of this condition going back through to my late teens. And bipolar disorder is a mental illness that is characterized by extremes of mood from deep dark depression where at its worst, I cannot get out of bed, I cannot do my job, and I cannot look after my children. Through to periods of mania where I can take really bad risks, uh, make bad financial decisions. And after I was diagnosed, I had some pretty dark times, and when I was 31, I tried to end my life at a, really, at a time where I thought it was all futile. And from that dark time, with the love of close friends and family, I learned to manage my condition. I learned that exercise is crucially important. I learned to prioritize sleep. I learned that mindfulness is, is very important. I take medication proudly. I see a therapist. But like a lot of us with mental health challenges, I learned to manage my condition under the radar, with only those close friends and family knowing about it. And that was because of a fear. It was because of stigma, a fear that people would perceive me differently, be them friends, be them clients, be them staff, be them people that I work with. And this went on for 15 years until in October 2017, I heard a campaigner called Jeff McDonald tell his story of anxiety and depression and the loss of his friend to suicide. And I thought, why am I hiding this? Why am I putting physio in my diary every time I go and see my therapist? My team must have thought I've got the worst physiotherapist in the world that cannot fix this back injury. So at that moment, I was inspired. I was inspired to be open about my own challenges. And I, I told my story in, in a very awkward post on Facebook. And the reaction I got was overwhelmingly positive. Uh, people being supportive, people showing empathy. But people actually sharing details of their challenges as well. And this really further inspired me to think, how could I contribute to this movement of ending stigma? And I kept hearing the same message at conferences, talking to stakeholders, talking to campaigners. We do not have enough senior leaders from our workplaces who are sharing their stories, their lived experience of mental ill health and acting as role models. You know, We've got Stephen Fry, we've got Ruby Wax, we've got some sports professionals but can our employees truly relate to those, those people? So I founded Inside Out, which is a social enterprise, to help smash the stigma of mental ill health in the workplace by very simply showcasing um, role models who have reached a level of seniority in our workplaces, 
and are open about their challenges of mental ill health. And we published the first leaderboard in the Sunday Times um, this year with 42 trailblazers on, on that leaderboard and delighted that Abhijay um, here today is one of those role models. But it's really around showcasing the fact that, look, our leaders are talking about mental ill health. It's okay for you to do so if you're struggling in the workplace. Fantastic. And, and over to you, Abhijay, you know, you are on that, that first leaderboard, so, so well done. C can you explain a little bit about your story? Sure. So my, my, my journey in this, in, this, in this space started from becoming a mental health advocate, uh, which the firm had established a few years ago. Uh, a group of senior leaders within the firm that others could come and talk to about their uh, mental well-being. And at the time when I took on the role, I did it for two reasons. I thought it was, um, it was the right thing to do. It, it's, it's investing in our, in, our, in, our, in our people. And from a business perspective, it was the right thing to do. It's investing in our people. What I hadn't really disclosed is around the same time, my wife was going through a fairly intense period of anxiety and depression, uh, brought in by a number of factors. And whilst caring for her, I, I began to understand the point, Rob, you were mentioning earlier, the, the importance of a support network around you. And a support network which can't really stop as soon as you enter the workplace. It needs to be all around you. Um, I, I like that phrase, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. It, it, it really, it's really the same thing when you're exper experiencing mental ill health. And it needs to be family, it needs to be friends, it needs to be your colleagues. And that moment of aha is what sort of drove me back into going, no, actually, this is really relevant for, for us here at PwC. Um, and then the last piece for me was a cultural piece as well. Uh, I, I, I was born in Nepal, I grew up in Nepal and in India, and, and in that part of the world, when I was growing up, this wasn't something you ever talk about. Um, there isn't a word in Nepalese which translates into mental ill health. There's a word for crazy. There isn't a word for depression. Um, so for me, it was important that from a, a cultural as aspect as well, we start raising the profile of this because, frankly, the support I got from my community when, I, when we came out at my wife's insistence was amazing but the fear of coming out was huge. So for me, the message out there needs to be, you need to put your hand up, and if you do, you get amazing support. Yeah, that's really interesting, and yeah, I, I love that concept of the village and, and coming into the workplace where people can look after you. Because I think for too long, we talk about workplace stress, um, and that's all we talk about. Whereas actually, you know, anything that affects our mental well-being can happen in or out of work we could experience bereavement relationship breakup but we bring that into work with us and if we can talk about that that is the start of the process of, of recovering and dealing with that but i'm also really interested in the differences culturally around mental ill health and the stigma because mental illness does not discriminate Indeed. people experience mental illness everywhere so we're launching our Inside Out Leaderboard concept in various different territories, but I'm very keen to focus on Asia, the Middle East, and other territories where mental illness is more heavily stigmatized. And, and I think it's vitally important, I mean, for a business like PwC, our firm is big. We have a very multicultural background. People come from all sorts of different uh, parts of the world, different mentalities about this topic. And for them, it's really important that they see people that they relate to in senior position that they can go and talk to. Um, and that takes time. That takes time to build the trust. I mean, I was a mental health advocate for nearly two years before I was being approached by people who had seen my face and nothing else and were happy to come and talk to, talk to me about 
what they felt were their deepest, darkest thoughts. Um, and I really like what PwC has done in that space in the last couple of years as well, where we've expanded the mental health advocate network massively to try and make sure there is a range of diversity from a business perspective, from a gender perspective, from a culture perspective, um, so that we find more people that who look like you that you can go and talk to. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And I think in the UK, we can be kind of net exporters of good practice on this agenda. Yeah, so if you've got secondees or people that are going to different territories and see what we're doing in the UK and then take that back to wherever, then it's great because we're seeing that you know, what can be done in, in challenging the perceptions of mental illness. Yeah, and, and actually that's quite an interesting point because actually here at PwC we use social media quite a lot and we have a great PwC Twitter family. And, and actually, from a positive perspective, you know, we share lots of things on Twitter. But I suppose, what's your view in terms of does social media help get over the message of um, mental health and well-being, or or does it cause more stress? It, it's a really good question. Social media, in in my opinion, is a double-edged sword where mental well-being is concerned. It is a great tool to spread the message. So, in in following from the publication of the Inside Out leaderboard, we had the role models posting on LinkedIn. And we probably had over half a million views of the various posts. So that really is smashing the stigma in action. So the power of collective posting. And I think that ability to share stories, to challenge perceptions, social media is a great channel to do that. I think on the flip side, social media contributes to the rise of some of the more common mental health challenges we see, anxiety, depression, um, and even some more complicated ones like eating disorder. Because we sort of live in an age now where young people coming through are, are judging their success by a, a, a benchmark that others are putting out there or whether their posts are getting liked or what they're doing is getting liked. So this culture of unattainable perfectionism is, is rife and we have to stop that because you know, what people are posting on social media are you know, snapshots of what their best life could look like but nobody's life looks like that all of the time. And I think that's putting pressure on people coming through today and so even more serious things like eating disorders where, and self-harming we're seeing a rise in, that, that's, that's not good. So we need to address the way that social media is, is being used to interact at a human level, I think. Rob, having said that, uh, just picking up on a point you were making earlier, the, the one positive that I take from the younger generation coming through, and that may well be an impact partly of social media, but better awareness as well, is there seems to be more willingness of the people, you know, definitely if I look at our graduates and, our, and, and, and the junior people coming through, well, they're willing to talk about uh, what they're going through and they're very open about it and they're very happy to share it. And that open culture is being off, driven off them, which I find very heartening to see. It, it's, it's interesting to see as well because that's sort of coming, coming into, you know, what might be a fairly closed environment, a closed corporate culture in some, in, in some organizations where the senior leaders may not be ready, but ready or not, it's coming. It's happening. Yeah. So I had a conversation with a very senior MD for one of the investment banks. And in, with their new graduate intake, he was telling me that they were getting more questions about what are you going to do for my well-being than what my bonus trajectory is going to look like. And that's, with it, that's in an investment bank. Nice. So this is coming and we have to adapt. So I think I'm really hopeful that the generation coming through w will change the culture of workplaces because the demands they will put on us as employers um, will be huge and they will not tolerate cultures that are toxic over time but we do have to adapt to that um, so you're right I think it's really really interesting and there'll be some very interesting changes that need to, to be made to our workplaces 
Yeah, and, and if I think being a mother of three children, probably lucky that they're slightly older, so so actually social media still hits them, and I, you know, I follow them, and you know, as I say to my daughter, you're never going to see your friend crying on Instagram. Okay, it's going to be the lovely picture behind the boat and everything else. But uh, but I think I always challenge them to say, what are they going to do um, to actually use those skills that we all have of listening, of caring, um, of actually hearing as well. Um, so what are we going to do or what are each of you going to do to help the next generation um, to make sure we leave a legacy for them? I think for me, it's the, it's the culture bit, which we touched on previously, where I, for me, it's, it's vitally important as a business for PwC that we create the culture which allows people to be themselves whilst at workplace, be the whole of themselves. Um, and to, do, and to do that, there is an element of smashing the stigma, which involves senior leaders talking about their stories. There's an element of sort of day-to-day -day storytelling. There's an element of um, giving people the permission to do that. And if we get it right, for me, that's a recipe for a massive success we, we will have, both from a human perspective, but also from a commercial perspective. So the legacy here really has to be creating that culture. I, I totally agree. It's, it's a lot of the work we're doing at Inside Out is inspiring or trying to inspire culture change. And I think we need to challenge the perception that we're either mentally ill or we're mentally well, because we all have mental health. We all exist on a continuum and can fluctuate daily or even hourly. If we experience you know, bereavement, that is the same signs as, as depression, albeit shorter. So I think the narrative in workplaces, we need to move a little bit towards the mental health and well-being of all. And can we start treating the health of our humans as a strategic priority of our businesses? So I think, for me, it's about getting the health and the well-being of our employees central to the values of our organisation. And I think leaders have a role to play in that. And can we encourage leaders to do that? And I've certainly got some ideas there. And actually, Rob, that's really interesting because I was with a series of entrepreneurs on um, last week and actually one of them who owns some restaurant chains said you know when we talked about culture and purpose because the two things are linked quite closely together he said I've stopped looking at profit that isn't what uh, motivates me what motivates me is how do I look after my staff the, the happiness of my staff the happiness of my customers and the quality of the food I provide and he said actually if you do those three things the rest of it flows ab ab absolutely for me this is you know it's it's it's, it's fairly simple especially in an organization like PwC, you're hiring people for their brains. And if you're then not investing in looking after their brains, then that, as a commercial, as a business person, I just look at it and go, but that's, that doesn't work. And for the people, the organization which managed to do it well, I think are going to be the success stories of the future. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We, we're introducing something called the Inside Out Leadership Charter which is a set of seven principles that leaders of organizations can sign up to. But it's, it's just making sure that mental health is on boardroom agendas. We'll have a board level sponsor. We will report on the mental health and well-being of our people, like we would any other assets that we say are crucial to the, the success of our business. Um, so I think we need to help uh, our organizations have tangible actions and know what to do on this agenda, because it's quite new as well. And I think a lot of CEOs, CFOs, want to do the right thing but don't necessarily yet know what that is so we're going to certainly try and help with that and actually picking up on that point how do we make sure that it doesn't just become one day a year that actually this is on the agenda you know as, as you say you can change every minute every hour every every day 
I think I think I think that's that's a great uh, great question because I think that's the real challenge. Um, uh, events like uh, uh, World Mental Health Day are amazing to sort of you know, remind people about it, but it has to be on a daily basis. Um, within my team, we we, we we you know we we've tried a couple of things. We've we've done the storytelling. We've done the creating you know reducing the stigma. But we've also gone on some practical steps. Um, a voluntary training run for people to help them give the language and the tools which allows them to ask the question or answer the question or spot the signs. Um, down to everyday stuff, um, if a project is being kicked off and you're sitting down working out who is available when, why don't we also put on the table what's your non-negotiable, whether that is a gym, a walk with a dog, uh, you know, getting home in time to sort of see the, see the kids and, and, and put them to bed, and, and make sure that we are resourcing projects in a way that caters for well-being. I think that's really important, and I love that checking in with people. So I, at a personal level, publish my own score of my mental health today. Today, I'm a seven and a half out of ten, and you know that's to let people know where I'm at. And actually, the response that I'm getting on that is people then sharing back their scores, even over email, of people that I I haven't met. So I think you know, for me, getting an understanding of where people are at the start of meetings, or particularly through busy seasons or, or projects, really, really important. Um, I think what else is important is we help individuals with the literacy of how to proactively manage mental health. So for me, you know, as children, we're taught about dental hygiene, and most of us in the workplace have, have got you know, reasonably hygienic teeth. Um, but we're not taught about how to proactively manage our mental well-being. And it really differs from individual to individual. You know, for me, it's sleep, it's exercise, it's social connection. Other people might need to do some good in the world, and other people might need to manage stress a little bit better. So can we have a rolling program of education of giving people the tools to think, okay, I'm just going to nudge myself more towards that thriving end of the spectrum? And Rob, I actually think, sadly, being chair of governors of a school, as you said earlier, the levels of anxiety self harm have gone up, so actually schools are starting. I mean, we're a long way off mm. getting it right, starting thinking about well-being and, and helping each girl or boy, whoever it may be, as an individual because I think far too often we think you know let's slap on the paint it'll be the same for everybody so so that that's actually something we need to think about. Did you know that um, in schools it's this is really important because um, mental health problems 50% are fixed by the age of 14 so they're established by that age so what are we doing for the, the mental health of our, our children our teachers and you know how are we getting this learning program onto the uh, curriculum and then also how are we measuring the success of our students because at the moment it seems to me like we're pushing a huge amount in terms of results are we teaching our children to fail are we, are we letting them know that it's okay to do so because that's how we learn are we stifling the creative process i could go on you could, and actually you should probably meet my son who, who himself has had anxiety and we've dealt with it and actually his way was doing blogs so he's done 15 blogs not would never be my way because because probably slightly more um private but actually he has a real issue with school and exams and results so, so that's probably for another day yeah. so it'd be really good because um, we have had some really interesting conversation just what would be your one tip to help someone out there listening to this podcast to be more open about their experience so here's my one tip I mean it took me a while to get this because um, I, I'm, I'm a technical person I like being trained I like knowing the answers and the firm sent me on a two-day mental health first aid course to understand um, everything that I could. And I, and I went in rubbing my hands with Lee, going, I'm going to come back as an expert. I didn't. 
But the most important thing I learned on the course was this. Um, the question that you need to ask is, how are you? And you need to mean it. And that's all there is. Once you've asked the question, everything else flows. And that's really interesting because one of my colleagues lost her husband very suddenly a few weeks ago and she was only in the office last week. I did the practical things. I took her food and I, I looked after her in that way. But when she got back to the office, I said to her, how are you? And actually she burst into tears because she spent all her time looking after everybody around us. So I think you're absolutely right. I, I agree completely. This is a, a key question. All too often we say, how are you? And I'm good. I'm fine. I'm all right. And you've walked on. It's a ritual. And I think stopping, I like to say, how are you today? And adding that today at the end of the question provides a little bit of a different emphasis. Mm. Now, as I've mentioned, I publish my own score of how I am today, because I think the other side to that is actually answering it honestly. And some of the most meaningful interactions I've had of when somebody's asked me that question, I've said, you know what, I'm not great today. I'm six out of 10. I'm out of bed and I'm proud of that. Um, but I'm feeling a bit low. I'm in a period of heading towards depression mainly, but I'm proud that I'm doing this. And that person has said, well, you've shared that with me. I'd like to share that I'm feeling a little bit anxious. I've got a deadline coming up and a holiday around the corner, and I don't know how I'm going to make it all work. And we've had real human connection at that start of the meeting before mm. we've discussed our business. And for me, it's, it's asking the question, it's meaning it, and it's answering it honestly. Thank you. And this draws us to the close of yet another interesting episode of How to Empower. This has been another great conversation, and I'd like to thank you, Rob, and you, Abhijay, for joining me um, on the podcast. For your listeners, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have, and just make sure you subscribe so that you can listen to further podcasts. Mm -hmm.